you know, one of the, one of the reasons that uh, I think it's so important to, to commit to, to weekend uh, worship uh, is, is to realign ourselves and to remind ourselves of who God is, and in light of who God is, who we are, and how much, uh, how much He loves us, how much uh, He's done for us, and then for us to reflect back to Him, uh, this, this spirit of thanksgiving, saying, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me, you know, let's, let's give Him thanks. And so I, I, I think that's one of the most important pieces of coming together, is, is to remember how good God is. And uh, I don't know if, if you've been reminded of that lately, uh, but, but God is good. Uh, you know, all times God is good, and sometimes we don't see it, and we don't feel it, and we want to, but, but God is good, and uh, He has an everlasting, unending, unfailing love for us, and it's good to get together and be reminded of that. Uh, well, um, Real quick, before I jump into, in, into the message, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to mention this. Uh, this journal, and, and I know I, I've mentioned the journal a few times, uh, this journal, I've heard great comments from, from many of you. It's been a good journey for you, and I know for some of our small groups who are working through the journal, we have small group questions. Um, I, we have, this, this time, the journal, we've had seven churches working uh, with us and, and kind of walking through this, uh, this season with us. And it's been, it's been great meeting with those pastors, and uh, we worked pretty far ahead to, to plan this out. And um, it's, it's just fun being a part of something bigger than just this. You know what I mean? Like there, it's, it's, it's a reminder that it's not just about what happens within these walls, but it is multiplied beyond that. And so we just finished writing the next journal, which will begin in January. And so we have a, a new journal coming out in January that will, will, will take us from January 1st through Easter. And it will kind of give us some some thoughts and, and some help in, in staying aligned where we're going. And the season right before Easter, many of you know this, is called the season of Lent. Yeah, you, you remember that? Some of you have heard that. Some of you haven't heard that for a long time, and it scares you. Um, but, but our journal is going to help us walk this journey of Lent together. And we have uh, at least 14 churches on this next uh, season that are going with us. We have churches who have joined the journey um, in Florida, in Indiana, in Alabama. Somebody should say amen, Alabama. I mean, uh, in, in, did I say Indiana, Ohio? Uh, so we've, amen, somebody, yeah. So we've got churches around the country now who are on the journey with us. And, and this is something that really started with our collective of churches, the three churches here. So I'm so thankful to, for, for, for what you guys allow us to do and putting the journal together. And so we're excited about that. Um, it's coming up. So if you have your journals, go ahead and open them up, and uh, we're going to look at uh, this, this second part of Change of Heart. Now, Change of Heart is a, is a difficult series to begin with, and you know why, because a lot of times you think, man, the church shouldn't talk about money. It's just money and the church, they shouldn't coexist, and it has to coexist at some level, but here's the deal. Jesus talked about money so much. 10 to 15% of what Jesus says in, in the Gospels is in some way related to money. Uh, 16 of the 38 parables have something to do with money. They're connected to money. There's 2,000 verses in the Bible related to money. And so the question becomes, why? Like, why does the Bible talk that much about money? And here it is. Jesus tells us, because money and, and our hearts are in some ways connected 
Jesus says it this way. He says, uh, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be as well. There the desires of your heart will be as well. And uh, last week we said it this way, uh, wherever, wherever, or my heart will flow where my money go. My heart will flow where my money go. And I know it's bad English, but it's true. Uh, where you begin to put your money, the order in which you put your money in different places, that's where your heart will begin to flow and your heart will become connected to the places where, where your money is. And um, so, so we looked last week at the, the, the big question, if we have these three buckets of, of where our income goes, in what order and what percentage should we, should we put our money in? Does the Bible speak to that? Are there any kingdom principles? And we started out looking at the average uh, U.S. citizen, and, and here's the order in which uh, most of us spend our money. It goes in spending and lifestyle first, savings and investment second, giving and generosity third. And in this percentage, 130% of what we make goes into that first bucket. And some of you are like, Matt, you're bad at math. That's why you shouldn't speak on Sunday mornings about money, because 130% does not add up. But this is the reality in which we live. And the way that we spend 130% on our lifestyle and our spending is through debt. debt. Right. And the Bible has a lot to say about debt. Uh, in one place, the Bible says this, that the, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. And that's an interesting concept if you think about that. Um, kingdom principles. We, we looked at this last week. Uh, the kingdom principle says this, that the order should be reversed, that we should actually, with, with what we bring in, that the first thing that we should do is honor God with it. We should be generous first with what he gives us. And uh, throughout Scripture, we have this little guideline of 10%, but in the New Testament, Jesus talks about generosity on a whole nother level. And, uh, and, and then savings and investments to pay yourself for later, to prepare for the future is a good thing to do. And then living within your means, living within 80% of what you bring in sets you to, to have margin in life unlike most people in our world. And so if you missed this last week, you can go back and, and listen to it. Um, I doubt many of you will do that, but if you want to, <laughs> it's there. And now what I want to do today is I want to get super practical. Sometimes the most helpful things for us is to have some mantras that we can repeat and bring back to mind again and again and again. Some things that stick with us, and I want to take some scripture and dig through it a little bit and bring out some mantras when it comes to money that might be helpful to us in this world. Are, are you good with us going that direction today? Yes, some, some, some very practical things. Now, your parents taught you some of these things when you were young, and you remember them through mantras. And I'm going to give you two and see if you can remember them. Here's the first one. You ready? Money doesn't grow on trees. Every single one of you know that mantra. <laughs> like, we ignore it, but it's a great mantra, isn't it? Money doesn't grow on trees. That's a good one. And then this one's maybe a little bit more difficult, um, and, and it might take you a minute. Um, but my parents taught me this. I was so thankful. They said, Matt, you can never keep up with the Joneses. Wow, you had like, you can never keep up with the Joneses. And I, it took me a long time to try to figure out who, who are the Joneses and do we want to keep up with them? But mantras sometimes help us uh, get some things in our head uh, and they come back again and again and again. So the passage of Scripture, if you have your journals or if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and this, is, this, this passage of Scripture is packed with wisdom. It's short, but just 
just packed with great mantras that could guide us in life and lead us to a healthier place as people who are trying to follow Jesus. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now, my dad changed the way that he used this mantra. He said, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it. My dad used to say that all the time. And I was like, Dad, I don't think that's what the Bible says. But um, he, he, he liked using that mantra. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing. So two mantras here that I think jump out. The first one is this. Contentment changes everything when it comes to money. Contentment. It changes everything when it comes to money. And the interesting thing about contentment is it is a learned, it is a learned value. For most of us, contentment does not come naturally. In fact, if I ask you the question, how many of you, you, you just grew up and, and you're just content by nature, there would not be that many people who would raise their hands. You've learned it. If, if you are content, it's, it's been something that you've learned over time. Uh, Paul who wrote this passage of Scripture, also wrote in Philippians. And Philippians is this beautiful book in the New Testament. It's a letter that he wrote to a church, and he's talking primarily about joy, and he's saying one of the ways that you find joy in life, near, near the end, he says, is through contentment. And, and Paul says, I've learned how to be content with a lot, and most of us would say, I could be content with a lot as well. Like, yes, contentment with a lot, but, but then Paul says, no, no, and I've also learned to be content with little. You can learn how to be content. You can learn to, to put yourself in a place where you're at peace no matter what you have, a lot or a little. Now, most of us, uh, Rockefeller said this. Uh, someone asked him, uh, how much do you think you need? How, how much money do you think you, you need in order to live at peace? And you know what Rockefeller said? A little bit more. It's like this sliding scale, you know, and all of us would probably say that. If I want to live at peace, if I just want to be comfortable, and think, I just need a little bit more. And it's a sliding scale. Uh, it moves as our income moves. It, it moves as we become more aware of the world around us and what's available to us. So contentment changes everything. And it is a learned value. And it's something we have to work at, being content. Do you know anyone content? when it comes to money? Do you know anyone in your life, the people that you see that are just content? Isn't there something attractive about that life? Something that is, you just want to live like that. Yeah. Uh, the second little mantra that I think jumps out of this, this little passage is this, I brought nothing in, I can take nothing out. Isn't that good to remember that? It's, it's a great reminder that, that we should always remember um, I, one of the things I do as a pastor is, you know, sit with families when they lose a loved one. And it's always interesting to me. There, there's, there's hardly ever any conversation about what that person is going to take with them in that, in that casket. There's just no conversation around that. And, and usually anything of value that has been placed in the casket is taken out before the casket actually goes in the ground. Like we brought nothing in and we can take, what can we take out? Nothing. We can take nothing out with us. Um, money does this interesting thing with the families of those who have passed on. It creates a little bit of tension every now and then with those who are staying behind. But, but 
we brought nothing in, we can take nothing out. That's a good mantra to get into our heads, to remind ourselves as we go through life and as we work and we work and we work and we should work hard and make all that we can, but we can take nothing with us. And it should cause us to hold on to those things that we have loosely. So he continues. He says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now this is a powerful little thought. Like tucked in, kind of teaching us how how to live and uh, about this perspective. Um, I, I've heard uh, people say number, a number of times that, that money is evil and money is the root of all evil today. Have you ever heard anybody say that? And sometimes we think that's what the Bible says, but the Bible doesn't say that. Like the Bible doesn't talk about money in like this evil way. It says for the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And what happens is, is many of us, when we have this desire to, to acquire more and more, it causes us to wander from the truth and from the faith. We, we, our heart, and this comes back to what Jesus says, our heart gets distracted and ends up following the flow of what we want. We desire more and more of money or treasure. So here's the mantra that I think jumps out of this. Loving money will lead me astray. Like loving money. I'm not saying money will lead us astray, but loving money. The Bible says loving money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So loving money or the things that money can buy, that will lead us astray. It's a good mantra uh, to, to, to put in our heads. There's this country song that came out a few years ago. I, I, I kind of like it. It's catchy. It talks about how some people say that money can't buy happiness. And then the, the, the chorus is, but it can buy me a boat. And it can buy me a truck to pull it. It's like a really catchy song. And, and many of us have this kind of thought in our minds. Yeah, well, money can't buy happiness, but it sure is nice to have, correct? Like we have this thought that money's a good, I mean, it can be a good thing. It's the love of money and the love of things that can drive us and lead us away from God. And it is a very subtle thing, isn't it? How money tends to get its grip on us. It's a very subtle thing. What starts out very innocent leads us to a place sometimes that can be very dangerous. Okay, so Paul continues. And he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command those who are rich in this present world. Command those who are rich. Now, if I ask the question, how many of you know someone who's rich? Um, how many of you know someone who's rich? Let's just, I'll just ask you. How many of you know anybody who's rich? My kids have asked me this. Dad, do we know anybody that's rich? Do we? Um, and um, it's a good question, you know. Many times we'll read a passage like this and, you know, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. And we, and we think to ourselves, well, we can just skip over this. This isn't for me. It's for those who are rich in this world. And one of the challenges we have is that we see others as being rich and we kind of take ourselves out of that category. And so I'll never forget, one of my kids asked me, he said, Dad, do we know anybody that's rich? And I'll never forget when I, when I sat down with him and um, I said, we do. And he looked at me and he said, we do? <laughs> I said, we do. And he said, who is it? 
And I kind of looked around and I was like, we are. He was like, we're rich. I was like, we're rich. And he's like, so we have tons of money? And I was like, no, 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 but, but we're rich. And he said, why are we rich? And I said, because we have more than we need. We have more than we need. And I said, it's tough for us because we live in an environment where there's a lot of people who have more than us. But the reality is, when you look at the world at large, we are extremely rich. Two billion people, you know, this, you know these stats, two billion people live on less than $2 a day. Uh, when you look at the global economic scale, those who, who, who live on more than $20 a day are considered uh, middle upper class. And the vast majority of, of people who live in the United States, the vast majority of us, would qualify to be middle upper class or upper class on a, on a global scale. Now, I know that, that it, like, it doesn't sit real well with us, but the truth is we are rich. Like, we're rich. And it doesn't feel good saying that. Like, you, you think if, if I was ever able to say I'm rich, that would feel really good because it means my bank account's big or whatever. But the truth is we're, we, if we have more than we need, we're rich. And so I want to help us on this passage. And I want to ask you to go along with me. And here's, here's kind of the statement and the mantra. And, and let's just say it, okay? Here we go. I have more than I need. That's difficult to say, isn't it? Some of you couldn't even say it. Like, I have more than I need. I'm, I'm rich. And it feels strange to say that, and it might not set well. But now, once we, once we understand this, we can read this passage and realize that he's talking to us. Command those who are rich in this world. On a global scale, we are, we're rich. And so he's saying, he's talking to us. He's, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant. Oh, man. Not to be arrogant. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Command those who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It comes and it goes. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us, with everything for our, what's that last word? Enjoyment. When I, when I read this passage, it feels like there's so much tension here. Like God wants us to enjoy it, but it's the, like the love of money is the root of all evil. Like there's, there's tension here. And I think that's a good thing, to have a little tension. That, that, that God has blessed some of us many of us, beyond what we need. But that, that blessing isn't to be the focus of our hope, but rather the one who's provided the blessing is to be the focus of the hope, the one who richly provides us, uh, which is another, I think, great mantra, is that money, money doesn't deserve my hope. God does. Money is too uncertain to deserve my hope. Money doesn't deserve my hope. God does. It's a great mantra to remind ourselves again and again and again. Um, God's blessed me beyond measure, but money doesn't deserve my hope. God does. Money comes and it goes. It's here and then it's gone. I have more than I need. I'm rich. Money doesn't deserve my hope. God does. Just two more. Are you, are you still with me? Can we get two more? Okay. He continues. Command them. Who? Command who? Those who are. So command us. 
So put ourselves there. Command them, us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. I love that the starting point here, when, what he says, isn't, isn't about like giving everything away. Because sometimes we think, oh, if there's some religious connotations, he probably just wants me to give everything away. No. Rarely in Scripture does, does God ask for someone to give away everything that they have financially. There's a, there's a story with Jesus and someone, and that's because money had become an idol to him. So rarely. But, but he begins with this idea that, that we should do good and be rich in good deeds. That it, we should live in such a way that others see some good. Not arrogance but good in the way that we live. And be generous and willing to share. So take the, the, what God's provided and be generous with that. Be willing to share what He's provided. Um, this, this next mantra, I think, jumps out of this. And it's been something that I've been, it's, at se- in seasons of my life, I've just been terrible at it. And some of you will agree and you'll be like, I've been terrible at that at times. Here it is. Advanced decision-making can prevent regret and increase generosity. Have you learned this? This is a tough lesson, that advanced decision-making, like deciding, like pre-deciding, can keep me from regret, and it can help me become a more generous person in the future. Advanced decision-making. Now, listen, marketing, and I know I've got some marketing friends in the room, marketing is fighting against this in, in us all the time because it wants us to make quick decisions on how we spend our money. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you the worst mistake I've ever made financially, two, two worst mistakes I've ever made financially. Number one, um, I had a car in college. I had a Jeep, and I loved my Jeep. Not like loved it like I love my wife, but I really enjoyed my Jeep. And um, my Robin was pregnant, and, and so it was getting closer to the time when we were going to give birth, and she was going to give birth, not us. Um, she was going to give birth, and I was going to be in the room, and um, I, felt like, I felt like I needed a family car, and a Jeep's not a family car, and it was before they had the four-door Jeeps, and it's just a two-door old cheap. I mean, it was as cheap as I could get it, so it wasn't like a nice Jeep, but I, I liked my Jeep, and, and, and so I made a decision one day that I was going to get a family car. I drove straight to the car dealership and traded the car in, and within two hours, I had everything done. It was the worst decision, I think. I mean, I regret that financial decision as much as about anything else because when I drove on the lot and I told them what I wanted to do, it was like I was royalty all of a sudden for this car dealership. He's like, you want to do this, and when do you want to do this? Today, I've got two hours, and I just want to get, I just need to get a family car, and you know, the Jeep needs to go. And he said, we can help you out right now. And I sat down and it was, it was such a terrible financial decision. And anytime, anytime uh, we talk about cars and, and with my wife and she reminds me of that, which is just a terrible thing, advanced decision-making. Uh, the second one is when a friend told me about a stock tip and we won't even talk about that anymore. But um, advanced decision-making can prevent regret and increase generosity. Have you learned this? That making decisions ahead of time is so helpful later down the road. So helpful later down the road. And that's why last week we talked about kind of preset your generosity and your giving and preset your, your retirement. That's such a helpful thing down the road. Oh, and this one last one. Okay, last one. Um, this one's difficult. Never buy something 
you can't freely share with others. Don't ever buy anything that you can't freely share with other people. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? If, if we acquire things that we're not willing to share, it means we're probably wrapped up too much in those things that we're buying. And I've been so guilty from time to time of this. You know, Matt, can I, can I borrow fill in the blank? Um, well, I've got another one that you can borrow, but maybe not this one. Like this, like this is my special pen. You can't write with this pen, but I'll give you another pen that's a little bit cheaper because you may break my pen. You know, silly things like that. Don't ever buy things that you can't freely share with the people around you. That's a great mantra to live by, isn't it? It helps us to be generous and willing to share what God has blessed us with. And I know that rubs some of us maybe a little, little wrong, but the concept of, of being open-handed is a principle that the Bible comes back to again and again. Live open-handed. Be, be willing to share with anybody who's in need. Now, why are these mantras important? Why, why does it matter? Why, why does the Bible talk about money? You know, why, why does the Bible speak so much about this connection between the heart and money? Like, why, why is this important? Now, don't miss, if, if you've been asleep for a little bit, wake up, come back, join me. Um, don't miss this part. And here's kind of the focus of why these things are important, why it's important to live this way. In this way, living this way, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. There's something that happens eternally when we begin to live like this, when we begin to learn contentment, when we become generous, when we're rich in good deeds. There's some sort of connection in the coming age. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that, and here it is, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And what's interesting is usually when it comes to money, that's what we're all looking for anyway. All of us are looking for the life that is truly life. And the way that we spend our money and what we purchase and acquire, we're looking for life. All of us are looking for life. And Paul gives us these little bitty nuggets, these mantras. And in this way, when you live this way, you'll store up something for the future and then you can take hold in the present of life that is truly life. Don't you want to experience that kind of life? I, I do. That's what I'm after. The life that Jesus talks about, a life of peace and hope and joy and love, of grace and graciousness to all people. Man, in this way, they may take hold of life that is truly life. So the question, and I think I ended with this last week, I'll end with it again. Uh, do you need a change of heart? Do I need a change of heart? Is it, is it time for some sort of change of heart for us? And only, only, you can, only you can know where your heart is and where it's beginning to flow. And uh, I would encourage you. I'd encourage you to spend some time in the journal this week and really look at where your heart is and kind of the, the way that you manage and work with your money. Um, thanks for these last two weeks. Thanks for, for, for being gracious and talking about money. It's a, tough, it's, a, it's a tough conversation, isn't it? I mean, it's tough to talk about money. I love that we can do that in an honest space and, and hopefully honor God in the ways that we do that. 
and we can pursue him, not just in like gathering to worship and sing, but we can pursue God in all aspects of our lives. And, and money's included in that. Money's such a big part of all of our lives. And, and so thanks for being the kind of church we can talk about difficult subjects from time to time. Would you stand with me? And I want to say a prayer of blessing over you before, before we begin this Thanksgiving week. God, you are a good God, and you have provided us so much. God, I pray that we would pursue contentment in our lives. Whether we have a lot or a little, I pray that we would learn how to live this way each and every day. God, I, I, I pray that you would remind us of some of these mantras, that contentment changes everything. I pray that you would remind us that, that for the most part, we have more than, than we need and, and, and we're rich. God, I, I, pray, I pray that you would help us to, to, to make decisions before we're in the moment, that we would become more generous and avoid regret. God, God help us in all of these things each and every day. Thank you for your grace and love your joy, and your provision in life. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you next Sunday.